when you get a repeated message from God, pay attention. Well, a few weeks ago, Debbie brought this song to our attention, and we started working on it. And believe it or not, it takes us a while when we get new music to get it presentable. About that time, our pastor started teaching on the battle is God's. The battle's not mine. So it's a repeated message. God wants it delivered in this church, and he wants it delivered to his people. I'm not sure who needs this today. All I can tell you is that every time we've practiced, we come away more uplifted because of it. Because it reminds us of who God is and who we are. And so many times our worries and anxieties are a battle that we're not to fight. They're God's. The battle's not mine, little David. Little David, oh so small, before Goliath, oh so tall, the odds were just too high for poor little David, but he shook off all of his load, for with the power of God he was bold, he said the battle's not mine, I give it to you. Little David unafraid Before the giant he stood that day And it seemed to be the end For poor little David Just like the lion and the bear he slew You see Goliath would come down too He said the battle's not mine I give it to you he gave the battle to the one who had a record for getting things done. He said, the battle's not mine. I give it to you. Lord, it's thine. The battle's not mine, said little David. Lord, it's thine. I'm in your favor. I'm giving it all to you. I knew not what to do, and I'm so glad you let me see. You're really all that I need, for the battle's not mine. I give it to you, Lord, it's mine. Cause I've got one more river to cross, one more mountain to climb. One more valley that I've got to go through, leaving my troubles behind. One more battle with the devil, and I know he'll understand. I'm going through with Jesus, hallelujah, holding to his nail-scarred hand. 
holding to his nail-scarred hand. Because the battle's not mine, I give it to you, Lord, it's thine. Lord, it's The battle is not mine. It is His. Praise His holy name. And our victory is in Jesus, folks. Don't forget that. Amen. That makes you want to shout and run and, and just say hallelujah and glory be to God. Why don't we stand and sing? It's not in your hymn book, but let's stand and sing a verse of victory in Jesus because it's in Him. That's the reason little David could be so tall in that day. Amen. He could be that tall. It's against any odds. It's not you. It's God. Amen. Hallelujah. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life on Calvary To save a wretch like me You can be seated. Amen. What our lovely Lord. Thank you, girls. The battle is the Lord's. We've been teaching on that on Wednesday nights, and certainly it is. And you, you better realize it belongs to God. Because, friend, you cannot win by yourself. You need the Lord. I've got a twin brother, and uh, many of you have met him. Now, he is uh, the good twin. I'm the bad one, okay? <laughs> He's also the bigger twin, and uh, I remember we, of course, we were uh, born in the same room together. Would you believe that? And uh, we both love mommy too, by the way. And they, uh, I remember when we were in school together. We was about twelve years old, something like that, I guess, right around the the sixth grade. That was the best five years of my life. But anyway, in the in when he was about twelve, there was uh, there was a couple of boys. The couple of guys that were brothers too, and uh, they wanted to, uh, and I don't understand why, but particularly me, they wanted to beat me up, okay? And I don't know why they did. It could have been because I wanted to beat them up. But anyway, I remember, uh, I remember one day coming out of the cafeteria that these two guys caught me by myself. And the hall was empty, and here they came. They came right out of the side door, and I knew what it meant. I mean, you say, that went on in them days? It sure did. I mean, 
We didn't have to have guns. We had clubs and fists and all this stuff. Didn't need a gun, you know. But anyway, here they came, and I, I'm starting to back up a little. I thought, oh, boy, I'm going to get my back against the wall here. I'm going to hit the biggest and right in the nose first thing, and then then who knows. Well, I thought I'm, I better prepare. As I'm backing up, what they didn't see was I saw my twin brother step out behind them out of another door. He didn't know what was going on, but the Lord did. Now, I became like little David. I saw my twin brother, and I thought, yeehaw. Boys, this has changed. I quit backing up. I started marching toward them, and them boys stopped. I was running toward the giant, those two fellows. I started going to them, then they got, you know, real bold and said, come on, come on. And about that time, my twin brother slipped up behind them and grabbed their heads and went pop, just like that. And it sounded like two watermelons coming together, pop. Them old boys, her legs wobbled, and I went, come on back, I'll give you some more. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's the confidence we have in our God. Don't forget that. He is out there, already defeated the giant. The battle is the Lord's, Brother Sherman, amen. The battle is the Lord's, hallelujah. Pastor Josh, come on. And speak to us this morning. God bless you. Amen. Well, we're going to be in Mark chapter 16 today, and we're coming to the last chapter in this book. It's been wonderful as uh, we came out of, well, in 2020, at the beginning of 2020, we decided, and Pastor Brad felt led to go through each book of the Bible, and we covered that over. 66 weeks all through COVID and through all of that journey. And as we finished that, uh, I, I had a greater appreciation for the entirety of God's Word and each book of the Bible. And each book of the Bible has so many wonderful truths and wonderful um, uh, gems, if you will, about who our great God is and how we can know Him in a greater way. And then we came into this Gospel of Mark really wanting to focus in on the gospel message and getting realigned with focusing on Jesus and looking to Him, not to everything else around us. Even in religious circles, it's easy to get distracted by other things and lesser things and get our eyes off of Jesus. So we felt led of the Lord to go into the gospel where we're just week after week for these past 16 weeks emphasizing Jesus, 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 Jesus. Really, He's the hero of all the Scriptures. As the song said, as uh, Pastor Brad just said, uh, the hero is not little David. Uh, He wasn't the hero of that story. That story is not in the Bible to teach us how to uh, defeat the giants that are in our lives. Really, it's to reveal who God is and that God is greater than anyone else or anybody that puts themselves up against Him and His people. He is greater than anyone, anywhere, anytime. And we can trust in Him. And so we come to Mark chapter number 16 today, uh, wanting to see God's truth that He has for us in this uh, chapter. And I'll I'll say from the get-go, this sermon will be quite a bit different perhaps than anything that you've heard because it's sort of going to be two in one. Uh, I was going to say two for the price of one, but it's not that at all. But it's just 
two sermons in one. And don't worry, we're not going to have two altar calls or two invitations, but it will be a little bit different than what I have preached. And so we'll get into this passage of Scripture and I'll explain it as I'm going on. And I want to just challenge you, you know, we're, Jesus said, you know, if we love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. A lot of times we're good at loving God with our heart and our emotions, our feelings, but when it comes to our mind, sometimes we want to put our, our brain in neutral and not really think about things. And, and today's message is really going to challenge us mentally to think about some, some deeper things. And so I want to just challenge you uh, in that and uh, think through these things with me as we're going through Mark chapter number 16. So, uh, as this chapter begins, it's a beautiful picture. Chapter 15, as Pastor Brad preached last week, we see Jesus dying on the cross to take away our sins. Uh, one of the theme verses here in this Gospel of Mark is found back in chapter 10 and verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, He did not come to be served, but to minister, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. And we see Jesus fulfilling His very words here in Mark chapter 15. His body is wrapped in fine linen, And they take Him down from the cross, put Him into the tomb. And at the end of chapter 15, where we left off last week, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where He was laid. And in chapter 16, verse 1, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint Him. And very early in the morning, at the first day of the week, they came to the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And their love for Jesus is pushing them to want to be as as close as they can to Jesus, even in His death. They're just going back to the graveside, going back to the cemetery, going back and out of love for Him, out of wanting just to be near Him, even if it was just His dead corpse. They just wanted to be close to Him again. And in verse 3, they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? They're there, they're wondering, what are we going to do? How are we even going to do this if we're going to anoint His body with these oils, with these perfumes? Then how are we even going to get the stone out of the way? And when they got there, they looked, verse 4 tells us, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, They saw a young man sitting on the right side. This is an angel clothed in a long white garment. And they were affrighted. They were scared to death. They were terrified. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid Him. I'm so glad that we don't serve a dead Savior. We don't... Uh, have a, a dead faith, as that song says that the ladies sing. And we have a living Savior. And because of His resurrection, we have hope. We have uh, eternity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that great resurrection chapter, we see that Paul builds the argument that if 
Jesus is not risen from the dead, all of this is completely pointless. This is a complete waste of time. If Jesus is still dead, if He's still in the grave, we have no reason to hope, we have no reason for joy, we have no reason to look forward to the future. Uh, And He even says, we're of all men most miserable. In other words, people should feel sorry for us as Christians if we go around telling people Jesus is alive, when in reality, He's dead. But because He is risen, we have hope. We have eternal life. We have joy. We have comfort. When people like Brother Rick, whom we all knew and loved here in our church family, when he goes on to be with the Lord just a couple of weeks ago, we have that blessed hope and that assurance that He is with the Lord, and it's all based on and built off of the very fact that Jesus is alive that we have a risen Savior, and He is with us in this world today. As it says, You seek Him who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid Him. But go your way and tell His disciples and Peter that He goeth before you into Galilee. and There shall you see Him as He said unto you. I love the fact that in verse 7, Uh, Number one, the angel reminds them of what Jesus had already promised. Uh, Back in chapter number 14, Jesus tells them in verse 28, but after I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. And the angel just simply is the messenger for God, reminding them of what God had already promised. Go to Galilee. He promised He's going to meet you there. That's where you need to go. That's where you need to look for Him. Don't look here for Him. Don't look around this graveyard for Him, but go to Galilee and you will meet Him there just like He promised you. I'm glad that we serve a God not only who is alive, but who always keeps His promises. And again, our hope, our faith, our trust is built upon every promise of God. And we can be sure that the promises are as good as ours. In our Sunday school lesson today, I brought up my Sunday school book with me, but we were talking about confidence that we have in Jesus And the title of our lesson today was Confidence After Failure. Abraham had failed in his life. We're studying the life of Abraham and how we can have confidence in God. And Abraham blew it big time. He took matters into his own hands. He tried to force God's promise. You know, ten years before, God had promised Abraham, you're going to have a child. It's going to be the child of promise. And it's going to be, you can look at the stars, Abraham, And all the stars, that's how many descendants that you are going to have. Ten years passed by. Can you imagine? Ten years passed by and he's already an old man. And he's saying, what is God doing? I don't see this happening. I don't see this promise being fulfilled in my life. So they take matters into their own hands and they make a real mess of things, don't they? Abraham and Sarah, they get Hagar, bring her to Abraham to be his wife, and she becomes pregnant with Ishmael. Well, 13 years passed after that event, so almost 25 years passed from God's promise to the fulfillment of that promise from Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, their son. And Abraham should have trusted in God, but I can't point the finger at Abraham without pointing the finger at me and say, there's often times in my life where I'm not trusting in the promises of God and I'm not resting in His promise. It's one thing, Uh, To trust, you know, we say, well, I'm trusting God's promises. Then we start picking back up on the worry and how am I going to figure this out? 
what am I going to do? Plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E. And all the way down the alphabet we go until we get all our plans figured out. Every time that Abraham got ahead of God, as they say in the lesson, and he took matters into his own hands, that's when it led to a lot of heartache, a lot of problems. But we've got to rest in the promises of God. When we're resting in His promises, we're saying, God, the battle is not mine, it's Thine, as that song just said. The battle is not in my hands, Lord, it's in Your hands. And so we see that uh, we have this risen Savior who is going before us and who is keeping His promises. And I love this truth here in verse 7 as well. Not only does He do all those things, but He remembers every one of us And as it says here in verse 7, But go your way and tell his disciples and Peter. Peter, that one who, the last time we saw Peter, where's he at? At the end of chapter 14, what's he doing? He's denying that he even knows Jesus. But here the angel singles out, tell Peter. I love that there's forgiveness. I love in God there's restoration. And we do serve the God of second chances. He has that grace. He has that mercy. He has that forgiveness. Now that's not something that we ought to trample on. That's not something that we ought to take lightly and say, well, it doesn't matter what I do. God will forgive me. God will forgive me. God will forgive me. I don't treat Amanda that way in our marriage. We wouldn't have a healthy marriage, a healthy relationship if I said, well, it doesn't matter if I'm at home every night of the week. It doesn't matter if I talk to Amanda. It doesn't matter if I go on dates with as many women as I want to. It doesn't matter. She'll forgive me. She'll love me. She'll forgive me. Is that going to be a healthy relationship? Is that going to be a healthy marriage? Of course not. And if I really love Jesus, if I really want to have that vibrant, close walk with Him, I won't treat Him that way either. But He is the God who offers us forgiveness and restoration when we mess up. He singles out Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. There's great forgiveness, great love shown there. Go tell the disciples and Peter. He goes before you into Galilee and you shall see Him as He said unto you. And they went out quickly and they fled from the sepulcher for they trembled and were amazed. I mean, if you think about what they've just experienced, they're going there expecting to find a dead corpse, wondering how we're even going to access the corpse, how we're even going to get inside the tomb. We should have had a better plan. We should have thought through this. That's all that their mind is. And all of a sudden, there's an angel right before them giving them this message. And they are totally amazed. They're just in awe. They don't know what to do. It says that they trembled and were amazed, neither said they anything to any man, any person, for they were afraid. And we see that their response to this was a natural response, is it not? I mean, if I saw an angel and we walked in here today and an angel just came and stood right here where I'm standing and pushed me out of the way, we would all leave here amazed and wondered, wouldn't we? And we would say, what is going on? I've never seen that before. And these women hadn't either. And so we see that their faith was in Jesus and their trust was in Him and we do serve a risen Savior. And then, as we come to verses 9 and 20 in this passage, and this is where I want to take my second sermon almost, if you will. And this is where it may get a little bit challenging for us as we think through these things. And I don't know what kind of Bible that you have or what kind of study Bible that you may have, 
but many study Bibles include a note here. Some Bibles have some brackets here uh, from verse 9 to verse 20 that talk about did Mark actually write this section. Now I want to say from the outset, I believe in the inspiration of Scripture. I believe in the authority of God's Word. And I believe that we have God's Word. And that in the original languages that they were pinned down in, that those men wrote the very Word of God, pinned down for us. I do not compromise that and will not compromise that in any way, shape, or form. I spent you know, ten long years in seminary wanting to study how can I better understand God's truth. I wouldn't have put myself through all of that pain and misery. No, it really was a blessing. It wasn't pain and misery. But there were some uh, sleepless nights and some, uh, some times that I would just be studying for uh, 16, 18 hours straight in a day and just trying to work through, trying to work through and spent 10 years like that because I believe that this is God's Word, that this is God's truth and I want to understand it and not just to understand the Word, but really understand the God of the Word. There's a difference in knowing the Word of God and knowing the God of the Word. And so I wanted to launch into that to understand who is this God that we serve. But the question still remains here and commentaries deal with it. And I felt that I could not just ignore it. Now, I could just gloss over that and just go on like that issue doesn't even exist, but I wouldn't be honest before you and honest before God if we don't deal with the issue that is really the crucial issue at the end of Mark chapter number 16. And I've dedicated myself to preaching and teaching God's truth. And as we've gone through the books of the Bible these last couple of years and gone through Galatians with the youth group on Wednesday night and I did First Peter before that and we're doing the book of Mark, I love just preaching and teaching God's Word. And so as I came to this passage, I said, we've got to deal with this. We can't ignore it. If I'm going to be honest before God and honest before you as someone who loves you, as somebody who cares for your soul, as somebody who wants to see you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I could not ignore this. And we have to go into this and discuss these issues. Now, when I say that I believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God, we have so much evidence to uh, prove the truthfulness of God's Word. And this is where we need to put on our thinking caps and think through these things. So I want to give you some statistics and some figures that you can look back on and remind yourself that we can rest assured knowing that uh, God has given us His Word, that God has preserved His Word for us. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek originally. And uh, we have document copies of those manuscripts. And so this is the process that goes about. And as we're looking to say, you know, why do people even question whether or not this is genuinely written by Mark? Uh, Because when you look internally in verses 9 to 20, about a third of the words used in this short section do not line up with the rest of the vocabulary over the 16 chapters. Uh, There are different words that Mark doesn't use anywhere else. About a third of these words are new words. They just don't line up with the way that he teaches and the way that he talks. And then, when you get into uh, looking at the style that he uses, it's a different style than he writes with. It goes against the pattern and the flow of what he has written up to this point. And the oldest Greek documents that we have 
uh, do not contain this section in them. And the Greek documents from like the 200s and the 300s oftentimes do not contain these verses in them. That's why the majority of the biblical scholars today uh, believe that it was added on maybe in the 200s to 300s as a way to summarize the ending because they wanted to sort of put a quote-unquote better ending on the end of Mark other than just to end with the phrase, for they were afraid. But I want to show you in just a little bit how I think that that is a wonderful ending and it fits the theme that he develops in this passage of Scripture. And so what we see and what we learn getting back to the documents, that the process that is used to figure these things out is a scientific process. And so they take the documents and they compare document with document and see what does this one say, what does that one say, where did this one come from, how old is it, different things like that, different approaches like that. So just for the Greek New Testament, uh, we have almost 6,000 documents that now exist that are the uh, Greek documents. And so you can take it and compare one with the other. A second place only has 700. Compared to, it was Homer's Iliad is in second place. Some of you may have read Iliad and Odyssey and some of those, and your teachers made you read that back in school a long time ago. But uh, second place, less than 700. The New Testament has almost 6,000 documents. It's an embarrassment of riches. And so if somebody sent you a note, And on the note it said, congratulations, uh, Y-O, put in whatever character you want to put in there, Y-O something, three letter word, uh, Y-O something, uh, have won $10 million. And then the next day you get another thing in your email or in your mailbox that says, congratulations, Y character dash, you know, Three-letter word, Y-U, okay? Have won $10 million. And then the third day you get one that says Y-O-Dash. And, and you put it all together and you compare one document with the other document with the other document. How many of you would not contact that group and say, did I really win $10 million? You know, I'd go down there and say, look, I put all these documents together. It tells me I've won $10 million. And I would go collect my money. That's basically the process that's at work in uh, understanding these documents and putting them together. When you've got almost 6,000 documents, you can compare one with the other and look and see, what does this one say? How was this word spelled? And some you can see the scribes. And they were so very careful. And by the way, they couldn't just take a sheet of paper and say, here, can you run me off uh, 10 copies of this? I want to pass it out to people. They couldn't go to Office Depot or some other copy center and say, I want to print about a hundred copies of this so I can pass it out to everybody. People had to literally hand write. If you want to see what this experience would be like, just go back to Mark chapter 1 when you get home and start writing out word by word, letter by letter, punctuation mark by punctuation mark and and see how tedious that process is. And this is what they did and they dedicated their lives to that. The Jewish scribes did a wonderful job preserving the Old Testament in this manner. When they came to the name of God, they would go and wash themselves, ritual washing, ritual bathing, and then come back and get a brand new pen and write the name of God, throw away that pen, go do another washing, come back and start writing again. 
They did this to preserve God's Word because they understood how important it was for them to preserve God's truth. And so while they were so very careful with these things, we can compare these documents and see. And, and that process is a scientific process. And it's, it's uh, you know, often uh, uh, just looked at with suspicion at times uh, for various reasons, but really it should not be. It, it's something that we need to uh, understand and embrace because we have God's Word. Not only do we have that many documents, we have them written down over hundreds of years. Uh, and, and the time gap in years is the amazing thing. Uh, from the first document to the first copy, and some of the New Testament books has been shown to be as little as 25 years. In second place, it's up in the hundreds of years. 500, 600, it's, it's not even rare for the first copy that we know of to be a thousand years after the original was written. Uh, do you hear people questioning well, I don't really know if Alexander the Great ever really lived or ever really said those things or ever really did those things. You know, in history class, we were taught about Alexander the Great just like it was regular history. But everything that we know about Alexander the Great was written by two authors who lived about 300 years after him. They weren't eyewitnesses of his by any stretch of the imagination. That would be like me being the first one to go back and start writing about George Washington. Can I interview any of George Washington's contemporaries today? No, of course not. They're all dead and gone. And so a lot of things could get filtered in. But we don't question about Alexander the Great. We don't question about some of the Caesars. We don't question about these other religious leaders. But the New Testament documents blows everything else out of the water in comparison to the time frame in comparison to the number of documents, in comparison to the fact that you've got eyewitness authors who were there and they saw this, they heard it. Uh, Mark, who wrote this Gospel, interviewed, most people think, Peter and got this straight from Peter. Uh, they were eyewitnesses. They were associates of these eyewitnesses. And so we have this wonderful testimony. And if you're making up a lie, right here at the beginning of chapter 16 would be the perfect place to make up a different story. In this day and age, the first century, when this was written, they would never have put the women coming to the grave first. Uh, ladies, I hate to tell you this, but you couldn't even testify in court during the first century. It was not admissible in court. And you wouldn't, if you're making this stuff up, you wouldn't say it was a couple of women who went down to the grave first and foremost. No. You would say there was a group of 50 men and we went down there at a certain time and we walked right in and we saw that the tomb was empty and you would do everything you could to embellish it, to make it what it wasn't. But they just tell it like it is. They just put it down on paper. This is exactly what happened. This is how it happened. And this is what we have for us. And so they just tell it like it is. They're eyewitnesses. The important thing about them being eyewitnesses and living in the generation that this happened, if these things were not true, People could stand up and say, uh, look, we know Jesus. We heard Him. It, it wasn't true. He never said those things. He never did those things. That's all just a bunch of lies. But we know that it is true. It has stood the test of time. And we have this uh, written down for us. We have God's Word. We have God's truth. So let's get back to this point that I was making earlier about 
And it, it flows out of that. Okay, we understand we have God's Word. We understand we can trust what it, it was and how it was inspired in the original documents and how the process works that we get back to what the original documents said. And we understand some of that work that's been done and the scientific work and the great... You know, it's amazing to me. You know, archaeology and science and history and, and Bible studies, all of this comes together and God uses it to help to preserve His Word in an amazing, miraculous way. But we still got some questions we've got to answer. Well, if it ends here at, chap- at verse 8, uh, why would He end it here? Uh, why would Mark leave off with just saying, they went out quickly and they fled from the sepulcher and they trembled and were amazed? Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Why would that end right there? If you'll go with me on a journey back through the Gospel of Mark, I want to go back into chapter number 1. And we're going to work our way through this Gospel one more time and just point out a few verses here of how Mark builds his argument, how Mark constructs his writing, the style that he uses in his writing. And this response of fear, this response of amazement, this response of uh, trembling is woven all throughout this book. And I want to point a few of those references out to you. I do want to say I'm indebted to uh, the work of James Brooks who wrote a a fine commentary on the Gospel of Mark and uh, based on uh, some of his notes that I uh, give you this study that we're launching into as we point out some of these things. You know, uh, I heard somebody quote Adrian Rogers the other day and they said that he would often say, I milk a lot of cows, but I turn my own butter. Talking about his sermon preparation. He said, I read a lot of different commentaries. Don't ever just read one commentary. If, you're, if you like to read commentaries of Scripture, always read at least two or three. If you read one, you're just getting one person's fallible perspective on that. And they may be wrong. They may ignore things that are important that you need to understand. And their conclusions may be wrong. And you may disagree with their conclusions. So I try to read as many... I like Adrian Rogers' statement there. You know, I milk a lot of cows, but I make my own butter. And so uh, in in chapter 1, notice this in verse 22. It says, And they were astonished at His doctrine, for He taught them as one that had authority, not as the scribes. Jesus teaching right out of the gate. And by the way, while we're here at Mark 1, Mark begins his gospel very abruptly, doesn't he? Very quickly. What about Bethlehem? What about the wise men? What about the manger? What about Elizabeth and Zacharias, the parents of John the Baptist? What about Mary and Joseph and all these, the Christmas story? He doesn't even include it. It's just boom, right on the scene. John the Baptist, Jesus is in his 30s. He doesn't mention anything about his early life. It's this fast-paced book. And we see that as it goes on, this theme is repeated. And this phrase, they were astonished at His doctrine, it's used throughout this entire book as a way of concluding the people's response to Jesus. And as we get into chapter 16, we're left with that response. And we want to come back to that. But it tells what Jesus did, what He said, and then it tells the people's response, and then there's a scene change. And this theme, this construction, is all throughout this book. And so we see it here in 122. They're amazed at His teaching. In 127, it says, They were all amazed. 
Jesus has rebuked a demon and cast a demon out. And they were all amazed. Over in chapter 2, in verse number 12, immediately He arose and took up the bed and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed. And they glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. That man, his bed was lowered down through the roof. Jesus said, Your sins are forgiven. Then the people said, who, who does he think he is forgiven sins? Nobody has the power to forgive sins but God. Jesus said, well, to show you i got power to forgive sins, I'm going to tell him, rise, take up your bed and walk. The people's response, they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. And he went forth again by the seaside. See, there's that scene change. There's that transition. It's a, it's a device that he uses as he's writing his book here. And so as we go on into chapter number 4, we see this happening again. At the end of chapter 4, verse 41, we see that He has just rebuked the winds and the waves. He's in this storm with His disciples in the boat. He's asleep on the pillow in the back of the ship. They say, don't you care we're going to die, Jesus? Don't you care about us? He arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And He said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. That's that same phrasing, same word. And they said to one another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And they came over to the other side of the sea. Again, there's another scene change. I hope you're seeing this pattern. It happens again in chapter 5. There in about verse 15. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed of the devil. This demon-possessed man, and he had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. At the, uh, later on in chapter 5, verse 33, the woman with the issue of blood, she touched his, the hem of his garment, and she was instantly healed. But it says in verse 33, But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. And then another scene change comes right after that. As we go on into chapter 5, verse 42, we see it again. Straightway the damsel arose. Jesus raises this little 12-year-old girl from the dead. And straightway, immediately, the damsel arose when Jesus spoke those two powerful words. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And she walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. And then chapter 6, verse 1, another scene change. You see this pattern repeating itself at the end of chapter 6, verse 51. Here he is, walking on the water, telling his disciples, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Verse 51, And He went up unto them into the ship. The wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure. And they wandered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And then as we go on to chapter number 9, we'll go quickly through this here at the, in verse 32 of Mark chapter number 9. We see in verse 31, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, they shall kill him, and after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. Fear as the response to Jesus' words. 
In chapter 10, verse 32, they were in the way going up to Jerusalem and Jesus went before them and they were amazed as they followed. They were afraid. And He took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto Him. Talking about the cross that was coming. Then in chapter 11, in verse number 18, we see that the scribes and the chief priests had heard it. And they sought how they might destroy Him, for they feared Him. Because all the people was astonished at His doctrine. When the evening was come, He went out of the city. And over in chapter 12, in verse 17, as uh, Jesus is talking to them about uh, do we pay uh, taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus answered and said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at Him. They didn't know what to say. And then came the Sadducees. Another scene change right there. Uh, In chapter 14, in verse 50 and 52, uh, we see really in verse 50, and He comes, let me back up and read verse 48. Are you come out against a thief with swords and staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not, but, the, but that the Scripture must be fulfilled. And they all forsook Him and fled. And there followed Him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body, and the young man took hold of him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. The word there forsook him and fled as the same idea, the same root of being afraid, being scared, being terrified. And it says here in these verses, uh, chapter 15, excuse me, verses 5 and 6, Jesus is before Pilate now. And Pilate is questioning him. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now Pilate is the one who is marveling. Now at the feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. Again, another scene change right there. In chapter uh, chapter 16, where we are today, verses 5 and 6 we already read, but notice at the end of verse 5, the women were affrighted. They were scared to death. These, These words that I've pointed out to you, these passages that we've gone to, all use related words, synonymous words, and these are terms used. And Mark is using these all throughout his Gospel. And oftentimes, it's right before a scene change. I know that I'm belaboring these points and trying to help you to see that this is how he normally writes. And I believe beyond that, that this quick ending is in, agrees with and it's in harmony with how he began His Gospel, as I pointed out in chapter 1. It's just boom, right into the life and the ministry of Jesus. Nothing mentioned about Mary and Joseph. Nothing mentioned about Bethlehem. Boom, right into His life, right into His ministry. Bringing us face to face with who is this man? Who is this one? And third, Mark had a great purpose in his ending. He leaves it open-ended, I believe. And by the way, I want to be humble and in my opinion of this passage, you know, uh, this is a secondary issue. This is not something that you know we uh, you know we can agree to disagree on. If if you've got a different opinion, you know, I read people from every opinion that I could find, trying to understand and trying to boil it down. And this is where I landed. This is what made the most sense to me. And again, as I say, I love God's word. 
I appreciate God's Word. I have the highest amount of respect for God and for His Word. And, and I believe that looking internally, looking externally at the documents, that this is what it is. And my faith is in His Word, the, uh, what was originally written down. Uh, you know, uh, the documents, the copies, they may be wrong, and that's why we have that comparison scientific process. Even translations can be wrong. But I believe that we do have God's Word. But His purpose and His ending, I believe that He wants it to be open-ended because the story of Jesus is not finished. Sometimes we want it to be a nice, neat ending. And I think that's why Amanda likes these Hallmark movies because you know what to expect and you know what's going to happen and you know exactly how the whole story is going to come down and what it's going to boil down to and it's going to all tie up together with a nice bow and a nice package at the very end. But the story of Jesus is not finished. The story of Jesus is going on. And when He leaves the women astonished and amazed and leaves all these other groups of people astonished and amazed, we too need to be astonished. We need to be amazed at this amazing Jesus that we have. He is that one that deserves our awe. I try not to use the word awesome. You know, some people like to use the word awesome when they're talking about their favorite pizza or their favorite car or their favorite sports team. But some words, you know, you got to save for really important occasions. And I try not to use the word awesome unless I'm speaking about one who truly is awesome. One who truly is awe-inspiring, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we see that uh, here He's saying that we need to continue that awe, but we need to be the ones to go and to tell. We have a responsibility. It's not about... The finish line, it's about commitment to Jesus. It's about following Jesus, walking in faith with Him. It's not about the future, it's about right now. Following Him where we are right now. It's not an end, but it's really just the beginning of the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is continuing today, right here where we are. His story is continuing to go forward. And uh, He is continuing to challenge us today. And I know today is a challenge for us as we're thinking through these things. And no doubt many of you have other questions that you've got. And I do want to offer that, hey, if you've got questions, I want to have a conversation with you. I want to uh, walk through these things. If I need to explain something better to you one-on-one, I'll be more than happy to do that. Maybe you've got some other questions related to this that I can help to answer and show you what I have found and the truth that I have discovered. But God is challenging His disciples today. We've got to live. We've got to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, one thing that was common after the amazement often came witnessing, often came telling others about this Jesus. Did the women stop saying anything? Did they never say anything? Of course not. You look at the other Gospels, you look at Matthew and Luke especially, and John, it tells us that the women went and told the disciples They went and told other people. They began to spread the good news of Jesus all around. We have that same responsibility today to live for Christ, to witness for Christ, to to share His good news that has changed us with the world all around us while we still have time to live in Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and to witness for Jesus as we see the day approaching. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank You for Your Word. And I love You, and I love Your Word, and I'm so grateful that we have it. I'm so grateful for Jesus. 
And He truly is awesome. He truly is amazing. And He truly is uh, my Lord. And I have given Him my life and I want to surrender again today. Lord, You know my heart. Uh, you know that I want to be right with You in every area. And I knew I couldn't stand here today honest before You and not deliver this message that You have laid on my heart. And Lord, I know it's a challenging message for different reasons, for different people perhaps. And Lord, I just pray that uh, You would help us to receive it in the way that uh, You intend it to be received. And Lord, may we uh, continue walking with You in faith, uh, trusting in You, resting in You, I'm so glad that we have a risen Savior. We have a living Lord that we can worship and that we can praise and that we can serve. And we can lift up His marvelous and powerful and mighty name. And I'm grateful that for all that you're doing in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Their heads bowed and eyes closed for just a second. I want to extend an invitation for salvation. Maybe you're here today and you say, I am amazed by this amazing Jesus. I've never put my faith and trust in Him. And I would like to do that today. If that's your heart, would you just show me by simply raising up your hand at this time. I won't come back to you. I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out. I just simply want to do what I promised and pray for you right here, right now. As we're waiting just a moment, you say, I would like to give my life to Jesus today. I've never received Him as my Savior. As we wait just a moment, is there one who would raise their hand and say, yes, that's my heart, that's my desire. While we wait, I sure don't want to miss anyone anywhere. Maybe you're watching online, and that's your heart. I can't see your hand from where I am, but I do encourage you to reach out to us on our live stream, through a private message, through our church website, AntiochBristol.com. Our telephone number, our email address is there. Reach out to us personally so that we can show you how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me have a time of prayer for those who may have this in their heart. Heavenly Father, we bring before You all of these who may be considering this decision of salvation. I pray that through Your Holy Spirit, You would give them the courage to take the next step of faith to ask us how that they can begin a relationship with this amazing, this wonderful, this awesome Jesus. The One who died for them. And no, thank God, He did not stay dead, but He is alive. And may they call upon Him for the forgiveness of their sins. And I thank You, Lord Jesus, for what You will accomplish. And their lives, You have promised that whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We thank You for that. We praise You. In Jesus' marvelous name, we pray. Amen and amen. I'll turn it back over to Pastor Brad to continue on the invitation as he sees fit. Uh, one of the reasons I brought up my Sunday school book is that in the very back there's an advertisement that says, the truth does not mind being questioned. A lie does not like to be challenged. And that's a, a true statement, is it not? together would you please let's all stand together if you would and uh, the girl's going to lead us in this song I think we ought to sing this what page is that 391 in your hymn books I surrender all I appreciate the 
in-depth study and scholarship of Pastor Josh and his love for the Word of God. Certainly, certainly, the Word of God challenges us in these days to go forward. There's not an end in the Gospel of Mark or Luke or John or Matthew or in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. It's a constant challenge to us. It's a New Testament, a new covenant for us to go forward. I love my Bible. He loves his. You love yours. I'm glad we have the very Word of God itself with us. And I'm thankful for that. I praise His holy name. I've, I've debated folks from all walks of life. I'm thankful the Lord took me through those avenues so I could debate. I've debated atheists. I've debated hyper-Calvinists. I've debated those that were uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, I could go on and on and tell you. But I've always found that this wonderful book, you take this truth, and you take this truth and apply it to where they're thinking, and God's Word will speak for itself. And what a blessing. And the truth is not a problem that you can't question. Now, you get all of these different denominations, I won't say denominations, but different avenues of thought. And most of the time, they don't want you to question them. But I'm glad for the truth, aren't you? Praise His holy name. Thank you, Brother Josh. I appreciate that much. I love that. Let's sing this good song here. Lead us in that, girls. Oh, to Jesus I Testimony of the writer of that. That'd be a good song to sing. I stand amazed in your presence. Okay. Page 182. 182. Yeah, let's sing that too. I stand amazed. You want that one? All right. 182. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. I wonder how he could love me, the sinner condemned and unclean. And oh, how marvelous. Here we go. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder
are marvelous and wonderful. Hallelujah. And then verse 5. Let's sing this and we'll dismiss. When, when with the ransomed in glory His face I at last shall see Sing it now. Will be my joy through the ages To sing of His love for me Closing out the book of Mark, absolutely. How marvelous, how wonderful my Savior's love for me. I love that. Amen. Uh, the Lord willing, we will have our drive through prayer time from 4 to 5 this afternoon. So uh, you pray for us in that. That's been a good outreach that we've reached out into our community and folks traveling down the interstate and stop in to, uh, uh, to let us pray with them. And I appreciate that. If you travel the interstate as much as our girls have, you need prayer, right, girls? You need prayer. And then our truck drivers, you definitely need prayer because we got truck drivers here that I'm telling you, they're, they're wearing them out, but bless their sweethearts. But I'm thankful for God's word. Hallelujah. We'll begin a new series next week. I love you. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Any other announcements I'm supposed to make? Yeah, of course, our visitors back there. We've got a visitor's uh, package for you right across from the restrooms. It's not First and Second John. It's back there, okay? So I just wanted to clear up. Don't wait outside behind the wall. Well, anyway, I love you. Thank you for coming. God bless you.